It's a joy for me to be here. I remember a little skinny, dried up Robbie. Robbie, back to you know what Robbie is. That's a mountain term for being real skinny and looked like he about half starved to death walking in our church. A little Navy fella walked in our church down at Virginia Beach back in 1970, early 72, 70, 72, something like that. And, it, and then a, the most beautiful lady was with him that I've ever seen. And I thought, how in the world did she ever get that ugly-looking uh, man? And uh, here she was. Hey, he looks like the Lord. It looked like the Lord. I tell you what. <laughs> looked like the Lord made him as ugly as you can make him, and then whipped him with an ugly stick, you know. Uh, and here he came in, walked right in, and... Uh, well, we had been knowing each other all these years, and it's a joy for me to be here. <laughs> it's a joy. And now it is exactly 12 minutes to 12 o'clock. I got 12 minutes. Is that when you get out at 12? I got 12. All right. Somebody said, uh, you heard of that fe- about the fellow that uh, got up and started to leave before the preacher got through preaching? The preacher said, hey, he said, where are you going? Where are you going? He said, I'm going to get a haircut. Well, he said, why in the world didn't you get a haircut before church started? He said, I didn't need one then. Well, I don't preach. I'm not, I'm not going to preach quite that long. Uh, but uh, said a fellow said, what does it mean, Mama, whenever the preacher takes his uh, watch off and lays it up on the, uh, the uh, pulpit? And she said, absolutely nothing. <laughs> so that's exactly what it means. What I'm going to do, I'm going to try to uh, let you out in plenty of time. Let me say a word about the books. I've pastored for 44 years. Now we're doing mission work. My wife and I, we're training nationals. And um, I, have, uh, I have a burden to reach the unreached. Uh, you know, uh, if um, your little three-year-old girl uh, was, um, was uh, lost and you couldn't find her, it's getting dark, and somebody... Uh, would you say, look, could you help me find my da- lost uh, child? I have a daughter that is lost. Could you help me? I have a, or maybe it's a little son, maybe a little five, six, seven-year-old son. I have a son that is lost. Would you help me try to find him? Uh, it's getting dark and cold. And, well, I tell you what you do. You get the neighbors out, and they get lights out, and they get their tractors out, they get the car, they get everything out, they get the fire department, the na- the, uh, they get everything, and then mobilize. They get the police. They get everything, and they, nothing would, uh, nothing, absolutely nothing uh, would be uh, uh, more important than to find that lost child. You know something? My heavenly Father said, "Would you help me find some of my lost children?" And for 50 years, I've been trying to help him find some of these lost children. Found a few of them along the way. And I'm still doing it, and I'm looking, looking. Everywhere I go, I'm going to look. I got a fellow down at the motel where I'm staying. He's an Indian, but I'm going to tell you, God can save Indians good. He can, good he can save a, a hillbilly. Amen. I mean, he can save. Well, I was born and raised in the mountains of West Virginia, and uh, God saved me. Bob Jones graduate led me to the Christ, and uh, uh, then uh, I was called to preach. And I went to Bob Jones University in 1957. I've been associated with that uh, school, um, greatest school in all the world. And uh, Dr. Bob said, Rod, you have a testimony. Been on the board for over 40 years. And he said, if you, uh, if you will write your testimony, write your life story, we'll publish it. And there's the man of the mountain man, an Appalachian mountain man who got saved. God called him. And in the front of this book, Dr. Bob Jones III's got his um, uh, testimony or got his uh, uh, preference, and Dr. Paisley, uh, my dear friend. I was with Dr. Paisley in Northern Ireland uh, just uh, for Easter. That's my 26th uh, visit over there and uh, uh, for Easter, and you've, uh, we had a great time together. Then there's another book back there called to Preach, 
And if you want some of those books, get them. They help me with my expense as I travel uh, and uh, uh, go down into the islands and go to the different mission fields and so forth. All right, let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts. Speak to us through thy word. Thy word is truth. And thy word, Lord, uh, is what we need to hear. And I pray that you will speak and help us, we pray. Oh, God, get, help us to, uh, to know you. And Lord, that we might know you and that we might grow uh, in the, the, the knowledge uh, of the Lord and Savior, uh, Jesus Christ. And, um, uh, and to him be glory, uh, both now and forever. Amen and amen. Now, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to the book of uh, Acts. The book of Acts. Let me ask you a question. How many of you uh, would say, I am a Christian? Let's see your hand. I am a Christian. But it's almost about everybody is a Christian. You know something? Uh, that word doesn't mean much anymore. It's a generic term. It means almost about anything you want it to mean, really. And it's lost its, it's, lost its meaning. If you were, uh, were arrested for being a Christian, I'm talking about the biblical definition. I'm talking about what the Bible says. I'm not talking about whether you join a Baptist church, a Methodist church, Presbyterian church, being baptized, dipped, dunked, poured, or what. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, I want to know something, uh, according to the biblical definition of being a Christian. If you were arrested, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Me. What is a Christian? That's what I want to talk about today. Now, any attorneys here this morning? Anybody that's an attorney or a detective? If you are, I'm going to put my hand on my pocketbook and, and hold it. Uh, anybody that's all right? No, anybody attorney? All right. Anybody detectives? Any detectives? All right. Now listen. The scripture that our brother read in your hearing today gives us evidence of what is a true biblical Christian. We're living so far below the normal that we're subnormal. We have accepted a subnormal Christianity in America to where when you become normal, they think you're abnormal. So, I, I was preaching in my church uh, years ago. One of the deacons came and said, said, if you, said, listen, you keep on preaching like this, you'll set our church back 50 to uh, 75, 100 years. You, I said, I hope I set it back 2,000. I hope we get back to biblical Christianity and we accept subnormal Christian living to where when we became... Well, you see, the book of Acts... Is, a, is the church of the New Testament church. And when you say, I am a Christian, and you that raised your hand testified that I am a Christian, what you're saying about it is, that is, that is that you are like Christ. It says more than that. It says, when it says that you are a Christian, it says that you are his slave. No will of my own, but not my will, but thy will be done. As my Father has sent me, so send I you. I'm a Christian. The highest, the noblest, the most exalted title 
they, a man or a woman could be called or have placed upon them is that I am a Christian. Look what it says here in Acts chapter 11. And it says, and in verse 36, when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass at a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people, and the disciples were first called Christians. Were called Christians first in Antioch. Verse 25. These passages, if I was a detective, I would go into this and find out why did they call disciples Christians. They were called believers. They were called disciples. They were called the way. They were called um, uh, 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 other terms, uh, a knowledge, followers. But here they were called Christians. Now, as we begin to study this, and by the way, whenever you, uh, whenever you come to church, you bring your Bible because we're going to be preaching out of the Citizen Roebuck catalog, I'll tell you that. <laughs> we're going to be preaching out of the, the, the Word of God, and, and I want you to bring your Bible and your pencil, and let's find out uh, what is a Christian. Why were they called? They were first called Christians at Antioch. Why? Well, now let's get the story. Let's get a little bit of background here. You know, of course, after uh, Stephen was persecuted and, and was, uh, was killed and, and stoned to death, why, uh, the, the church was scattered abroad, and God scattered them. And we don't even know who started this church at Antioch. Isn't that amazing? You know, it says they. Look what it says there and, uh, in, um, uh, in, in verse 8, 19. Now they that were scattered abroad. I don't know who they were. They were no big preacher. No big bishop, no big deacon. But when they, these were believers who were scattered abroad, we have no idea who they were when they were scattered abroad and uh, uh, because of the persecution arose from Stephen's tra uh, Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia and, and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word. Hey, listen, do you know something? There's a God in heaven that has a burning desire for you to know him. He wants you to, and he's done everything he can do to get you to know him that you might grow in him. Now, if you'll stay with me for these seven services, uh, you'll be changed at the end of this week if you'll stay with me and you'll obey the word of God. I promise you, you'll grow, you'll change. But there's a God in heaven that has given us what we call a general revelation or a natural revelation through creation that declares the glory. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. Oh, God throws out the Milky Ways, 100 million stars in our galaxies. And then they've discovered that there's another hundred million galaxies and a hundred million stars in all those galaxies. And my Bible says that he spoke them into existence. And that God wants you to know him, so he created the heavens and the earth. He created the seas and the skies and the, and the beautiful solar system and everything around us. 
and all the plants and all the vegetation and everything and the seasons. And God wants you to know him by general revelation. Look at the old dead tree. You know it's alive whenever the spring begins to sprout. God wants you to know there's a resurrection through nature. But then God not only uses a, a general or natural revelation, God uses the revelation. I call it a special revelation, which is his word. <laughs> you know something? Oh, he said, I had a vision last night. I said, I tell you, I saw angels floating all over the place, and they were bumping up against the ceiling. And I tell you, no, it wasn't from God. I'll tell you what your vision was. You ate too many cornbread and pinto beans and hominy grits and sow's belly and collard greens before you went to bed. That's what happened to you. You know how you get to know God? See, it's so important for you to think biblically. But you can't think biblically till you know the Bible. And God has given us a revelation of himself through the written word of God. The Old Testament are substances, are, are, are shadows and types and pointing the lamb. Uh, Abraham Father, Abraham, where is the lamb? He said, God will provide himself a lamb. First time the word lamb was ever mentioned in the scriptures. But then the first time the word lamb was mentioned in the New Testament, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking down the highway and he said, Behold, he answers it, the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. My friends, I want you to know that this book is the revelation of God. It's God's infallible word, and God wants to communicate to us. And then he gives us the revelation of his son. Substance and types spoke through the prophets of the old, spoke through the teachers, spoke through signs, spoke through wonders, but now he's spoken through his son. And he says, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. If you've seen him, you've seen me. Oh, you say, let me tell you what all I'm doing for the Lord. I'm not too much interested in what you're doing for the Lord. I'm interested in what he's doing in you. I want to know, is he fulfilling his purpose in your life? And that's why you have to be a Christian. I never will forget whenever I first got uh, uh, acquainted. I was born and raised a regular heathen in the mountains of West Virginia, my dad was bootlegger and a drunkard and a, worked a, a dirt farm and a, and a coal mines and, and so forth. And, and uh, we had a hard living. Two rooms and a little, a little old shack on the side of a hill. Never went to church, but I went, uh, when I went to uh, sign up to go to, to, uh, to Korea, the Korean War, they had paper there and they said, religion, Protestant or Catholic? And I said to a fellow, what does that mean? Religion. Uh, it says Catholic. And, uh, well, he says, he, that's, you know, that's one of those fellows that, uh, you know, you know what they, they uh, uh, dress like mom and want to be called papa. And uh, they said, they're, you know what they are. They have crosses and so forth and things like that. I said, no. I said, well, I'm sure not that. 
What, what's this Protestantism? I couldn't say it. I said, what is that? Well, he said, that means you ain't a Catholic. I said, okay, that's what I am then. I, I didn't know. I, they didn't have, I didn't know. But all, oh, listen, whenever I met Jesus Christ, and I became born of the Spirit of God, and I became, uh, my concept of who God was became a biblical concept. And I began to study and hunger and thirst. I wanted to know Him. I wanted to know Him. And the hardest lesson for me or you to learn is that we need God. And the easiest lesson for us to forget is we need God. And when we are surrendered to him and he begins to conform us to his image, you see, God created me in his likeness. And I'll say more about that tonight. But sin marred that. And now God's great redemptive plan, his purpose is to what? To conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. So whenever we say we are a Christian, we're like Christ. Now, look at these Christians at Antioch. And it says, they were first called Christians at Antioch. Now, if you were put in a time machine, and let me just say this. If you were put in a time machine and could go back 2,000 years almost, and walk into the city of Antioch, and go up to the church at Antioch, and you take your devotion, you take your love, you take your attitude, you take your lifestyle, and you go into the church at Antioch, and you would go into the service, and you would be participating there in the service, and then after the service you go out and you begin to live your life, and somebody would say, I saw him with his Christians, and let's, let's arrest him. And then they arrest you because you were seen with Christians. The evidence that you were a Christian must be found in these verses. Let's look at them. It says that they were first called Christians at Antioch because, look what it says, verse 23. And when he came, this is Barnabas, had and had seen the grace of God. Would you underline that? That's the first evidence that you're a Christian. When they had seen the grace of God. Wait a minute. You can't see grace. Grace is an unmerited favor. Grace is something God gives us. Grace is something God... Oh, wait a minute. You don't see grace, you see the change that grace makes in your life. You see what the change that grace has made. So the grace of God changed them. And here are these heathen. Do you know Antioch was the third largest city uh, they call, uh, that they called uh, Antioch the city, uh, the third largest city of the world? They called it the, the, uh, the Queen of the East, population 500,000, great metropolitan area. And here she was, the, uh, the Greek capital of the known world at that time. And here they were Christians, Jews and Greeks. And it says... And they saw the change 
I asked you a question. Has there been a change? Has the grace of God made a change in your life? To where others recognize it. Look what it says. And it says, uh, and, and they seen the grace of God and was glad. That word glad means they were hilarious. They were filled with joy because of what God had done in their life. They saw such a change that it made them. My wife, whenever I got saved, she said, boy, he's sure not the man that I married. I'll ask you a question. Was there a change? I'm not talking about outwardly so much as I am inwardly. Did the grace of God change you? I'm talking about change your attitude. I'm talking about changing your desires, your want to. Changing your hunger. Changing your thirst. Not to something that was carnal. Not that something that was uh, fleshly and appealing to the flesh. But I'm talking about something that was spiritual. Something that changed you inside. And that's why they say you were born again. You're not the same. You were changed spiritually. Yes, it works from the inside out. It changes you. But notice i got to hurry. I have to only have 12 minutes. And it says... And he was glad. It changed them. So a Christian is one that has been changed from his inward, carnal, fleshly, selfish motives and desires to a different attitude. You know, I... At 22, I was uh, well on my way to making big money. And I was climbing up the ladder, hardworking. And I wanted things. But when I got saved, all that changed. And I realized who he was and what he had done for me. I thought, I only have one life. And Lord, I want to give everything I have to you. And for 50 years, I've been doing that. Because the grace of God changed me. Wasn't joining in the church, wasn't being baptized, wasn't shaking the preacher's hand, wasn't paying the tithe. Oh, you go through all those rich, but hey, it is the grace of God. What is grace? It is a divine enablement that comes from God that births you into the family of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. So I ask you a question. Has the grace of God, a Christian is one that the grace of God has changed. That void you know, he said that used to be down in you. You and, and an unsaved man is always getting more, do more, do more, do more, get more, do more, do this, do this, do this to change that void, that void that's inside him. Uh, uh, J uh, John calls in John chapter seven, out of his belly 
shall flows rivers of living. That word belly means cavity. It means an empty place. And the only thing that can satisfy that is the grace of God birthing a man into the family of God. And that void, that uh, cavity is filled with the Spirit of God. And he's changed inside out. If you were arrested for being a Christian and you were on the streets of Antioch, would they be glad because they saw that the grace of God had changed you? So a Christian is one who the grace of God has changed them. Secondly, what is a Christian? Well, it says a Christian is one that not only the grace of God has changed them, but the Word of God has consumed them. Oh, I wish I had time. I don't. But I wish I could do a word study with you. It says they preach the Word in verse 19, a different word altogether than the Word in verse 20, and they preached Jesus. One means evangelized, the other means that they uh, expounded. Uh, one was to the Jew, the other was to the Greek. One was for salvation, the other was to get them to grow in their nation of grace and their knowledge. But notice, they were preaching the Word, the Word of God. And it says, and look at verse 23, and it says, they saw the grace of God and they were glad and exhorted. Would you underline that? Exhorted. Now that's one method of preaching and teaching the Word of God. There's seven methods in the book of Acts of communicating truth, but here's one, exhorting. Now that word exhort comes from where we get our word paraclete, paracleo, which means one who came alongside of the Holy Spirit and strengthened you and encourages you and helps you to begin to grow and to mature. Listen, grace doesn't grow. You grow in grace. And if you're not growing and becoming more like Jesus, then there's something wrong somewhere. You're not getting the proper nourishment. Maybe there's an old grub worm <laughs> down around the roots somewhere. Maybe there's a, a, a bad bug. Uh, maybe it's pride. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's malice. Maybe it's hypocrisy. Maybe it's uh, uh, materialism. Uh, maybe it's the television. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's pornography. I don't know. But you've just stopped growing. Something's wrong when a plant doesn't grow. Either the soil's bad, no water, no rain, no light. Something's wrong. Something's wrong when a Christian stops growing. So he exhorts them. That's what your pastor's doing this morning. He's come alongside you. And he was trying to encourage you to be more like Christ and to let the fruit of the Spirit flourish in your life. That's, what, that's how you build churches. You don't build them. You see, the Holy Spirit builds them. Jesus says, I will build my church. Yeah, he does the building. He's given us the word and we exhort you come alongside. So that's teaching. He, uh, exhorting the word of God. And, uh, feel, uh, and that's the, the, the first, the word of God. And notice something. And it says, I, I, I got a hold of this, and I almost had a bad to cost a fit. Look what it says in verse 26. 
And it says for a whole year, they were assembled themselves with the church. Boy, these Gentiles were changed. The first thing they did, they joined the church. And then they said, hey, there's a Bible conference going on in there. I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell how deep your religion runs this week. I'll tell you how deep your, your Christianity runs this week. They joined them. There was a Bible conference going on down there. And these, these listen, these Greeks who didn't know a thing about God, they were a bunch of heathens, got saved, got the grace of God, and they began to exhort them. And, and, and they joined the church, uh, went there. And there was a Bible conference going on for one solid year. Ours just seven days. Ours just for a few weeks. But this one went on for seven days. Or for one whole year. And they assembled them. And you know who the preachers were? Barnabas, Paul, and Agabus. My! I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God? Evidence. You're saved. If you don't have a hunger, if you'd rather watch television, an old, uh, uh, who, who was it? Uh, oh, Roy Rogers? He's still on? He did. He? Trigger somebody. But, uh, 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 if you draw the term. Now, listen. I love sports. But that doesn't take place of the scripture. And doesn't take care of place of my service for my Lord. When it does, you better put a big question mark there. So the word of God consumed them. They were exhorted. And look what it says. Now, here's another word, verse 26. And they taught much people. There's another Greek word. There's two words. Now, that means line upon line, precept upon precept. They were doing expositional preaching. They were, doing, they were teaching them doctrine and the word of God. Now, I ask you a question. If I were to give you name the books of the Bible, if I were to say, uh, uh, what, uh, give me the, give me the, uh, how many books is in the New Testament? Do you really know? If I were to say to you, uh, how, how many chapters in the book of Revelation? How many churches in the book of the Revelation? Uh, in, in the first three, cha three chapters, could you, I mean, do you know the Word of God? If I were to say to you, uh, give me a promise, quote me a promise that God will answer your prayer when your baby's sick. Or God will answer your prayer when your wife is on the sick bed. Give me a verse of scripture. Has the word of God consumed us? It says, and the word of God consumed them for one whole year. Get a hold of this. For one whole year, they had Paul and Barnabas. Now, I like Barnabas because the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas up to check these Greeks out. Uh, and and uh, he saw a boy. He was happy. He said, man, uh, boy, I said, I, got, I know the man could take this church and do something with it. So he goes and finds Paul, Saul. And he had, listen to this, and he has to travel 100 miles one way. And the Bible says, and he had to find him. He couldn't find him. He didn't even know where he was. And then he found him, and then he brought him back another 100 miles, that 200 miles after finding him, and brought him back to the church because he knew Paul would be the man to help these young Christians grow. Well, I like Barnabas. If it had never been for a, a, a Barnabas, it never been Apostle Paul. And Barnabas uh, brought him there to this Bible conference. So they loved the Word of God. They were hungry for the Word of God. 
and they assembled themselves together in the church and they uh, and were taught much people and the disciples were first called Christians. Now notice not only that, they, they, uh, the word of God consumed them. For one year they taught, they exhorted, they loved the word of God. And oh, you say, well, did it do any good, Brother Val? Well, look here in verse 27, Agabus uh, told them there was going to be a dearth in the world and the Christians got burdened. And then verse 29, and the disciples, every man, underline that, according to his ability, determined to send relief, that's money, unto the brethren which dwelled in Judea. In other words, when God gets a man's heart, he gets his pocketbook. Amen? Wouldn't you say that's pretty good evidence that these fellows have gotten saved? I mean, the first thing they wanted to do was to help missions or help brother or help evangelize or help somebody who's in need and see you tell, me where you, you tell me where your treasure is, and I'll tell you where your heart is. Isn't that right? Wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now, the second reason, the second evidence that, these were, that they were Christians is, number one, the grace of God had changed them. Number two, the word of God consumed them. And I wish I could say more about that. But here's where I want to spend most of my time, and I'm going to close. The third evidence is that the Spirit of God controlled them. The grace of God changed them, the Word of God consumed them, and the Spirit of God controlled them. Now look, it says, and they sent Barnabas, verse 24, a good man, full of the Holy Ghost, or Holy Spirit, and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Now you get that. There was people getting saved left and right, and everybody, uh, because there was... There was uh, 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 they were filled with the Spirit. They were learning the Word of God. They were growing in knowledge and grace. And he went and he found him. And it says, and when he came and had seen the grace of God, they were glad. And he exhorted them all, verse 23, with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto the Lord. Now, let me ask you a question. What was the purpose? Here it is. Having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of time he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven, which are in earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will that we, and I've got that we circled right there, and I got in the margin of my Bible, Rod Bell, that we, Ephesians chapter 1 and in verse 12, that we should be the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation in whom also after that you believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of a promise, which is the earnest of our uh, inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Oh, listen, get underline that word purpose. With purpose of heart. You see, Christianity is a heart uh, religion, if I could say it that way. The problem of the heart is the heart of the problem. 
And whenever you get uh, a man's heart fixed, see Matthew, or uh, 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 Patrick Henry said, uh, one of our founding fathers in Virginia, he said the greatest uh, friend that a government can have is Christianity. Because Christianity is the only religion that changes a man's heart. And how true that is. You can't legislate righteousness. It has to be changed from the heart. So the Holy Spirit, when a man is born of the Spirit, then what is God's purpose? Is to conform that man to the image of Jesus Christ. Get it. Here it is. It's good to have a purpose. But we're a purpose. Uh, listen, uh, Romans 8 your pastor referred to this, Romans 8, 28. Listen to what it says. And it says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Now, you don't stop there. What is His purpose? Get this. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God, it's good to have a purpose, but God's purpose is to conform you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So that's what Christian means, Christ-like. There. If you go to school, would they say he or she is a Christian? She's like Christ, according to the biblical definition. So the Spirit of God controls them. And that's, uh, look what it says, it's a heart problem, it's a heart matter. And out of his belly, whenever your man is saved in John 7, shall flow rivers of living water. And he speak, the, uh, John says, concerning the spirit, because Christ had not yet been glorified. So he's speaking of a spirit-filled life that flows out of a man, uh, ministering from the overflow, not making you or not convincing you or not trying to persuade you, but it comes from within and it is a spirit-filled life that overflows with Jesus Christ and you see Christ in me, the hope of glory. You see what I'm talking about? Folk, it's the spirit, a spirit of, the spirit of God controls them. And what is his job? Is, notice it says in that verse, uh, it's, it's the heart problem. It's a heart. You know why we don't witness? It's because of our relationship with him. You know why we don't, uh, uh, we don't read our Bible? It's a relationship with him, a heart relationship. You know why we don't commune with him? We don't... You, People who you like, you want to be around. I enjoyed the, uh, the fellowship last night we had with this dear couple. I, I liked it. I just, I felt at home. And you want to be around people. Because the Spirit of God lives inside you, and He is conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. There's three ways He conforms us. Number one, by the Word of God. Number two, by the Spirit of God. And number three, He, he, con he conforms us by the sovereign purpose of that comes in our life. Circumstances. And I'm going to say more about that tonight. But look, he says, the Spirit of God conformed him with purpose of heart that they would, here it is, cleave. Would you underline that word, cleave, in, in Acts chapter 11? And I'm closing. That they would cleave. You know what that means? <laughs> Glued. It means, well, I tell you, it's a better term than that. It means to where they are, you're so cleaving together. I see you're holding her hand. I, do my, I hold my wife's hand in, in church. Too. 
That's wonderful. You, uh, you're cleaving with one another. You become one. Husband and wife become one when you get married, don't they? But what this means, you cleave, you're glued together, you become identified so that you can't be inseparable. You're, you're inseparable. You are, you cannot be separated. You are identified with Jesus Christ, your life. You are glued. Your heart is so glued to his heart and his word. It's like, it really means, have you ever seen the way they make a, a, a tire, a six-ply, eight-ply, ten-ply tire, and they put the rubber in the mold. Uh, they'll put a layer of uh, cord, a layer of wire, or a layer of mash this and the rubber, and then glue, and then rubber, and glue, and glue. And they'll make it a six, seven, eight, ten, twelve-ply tire, and then they pour the rubber in, uh, in, in between. Then they make this big tire. And then they, do th then they do something else when they make this tire. <laughs> they put it in the press. And it takes three things to make it become one. It takes heat, time, and pressure. And it becomes one. You can't see the... You, oh, you, it all just looks like one tire. And that's where a Christian is. You see, whenever the Spirit of God uses the Word of God and you obey Him and you give Him right away, the Spirit of God, and then you, uh, uh, circumstances come in your life and, and providential uh, designs, God engineers, and the way you respond to them, you become even either better or bitter. See, you don't have, listen, uh, uh, Christians don't have problems. Christians have projects that God's using in your life to chip off a little bit here and chip off a little bit there to get you more into his image. And my friends, listen to me. The heart, he taught them about, uh, with purpose of heart that they would cleave unto who? Why, the First Baptist Church or the First Methodist Church or the First Baptist No, no, no. Cleave unto who? Say it. Unto the Lord. <laughs> You know what that word Lord means? Sovereign ruler of the universe. My master. And he said, you cleave, you become so identified with him that people look at you and they say, he's like Christ. Now, if you were arrested in the city of Antioch, not in Harrisburg, but in the city of Antioch, or not down in Virginia Beach, or Greenville, South Carolina. But if you were arrested, and we would, for being a Christian, and using the definition, and using your, your devotion, your love, your loyalty, your bead that you have today, would there be enough evidence to convict you? They were first called Christians at Antioch. I was never, I love art. I'm an um, amateur artist and I do paintings and, and oil paintings and, and some sculpture and so forth. I was watching, looking at a sculpture of a Roman soldier. <laughs> the artist was there on display. And as I looked at that, I thought, man, such detail. The feathers in his uh, helmet. The eyelashes. This was made out of granite. 
the texture of the skin. It looked like it was going to speak. It looked just exactly like a Roman general. It looked like it was going to speak any moment. And in his neck, I could see the, uh, the, the, the veins. And, and the, I thought, and the flow, uh, the, the folds in the garment and the texture of the garment. I thought, that going to speak any minute. It looks exactly like a Roman general. And I said to the sculptor, I said, Sir, maybe a dumb question, but could you please tell me how do you ever get a piece of granite, hard piece of granite, to look just like a Roman general. It looks like it's going to speak. It's so life lifelike. And here's what he said. Well, he said, preacher, he said, I'll just get me a big, hard chunk of granite. And before I lay a chisel or a hammer on it, I have the image of what a Roman general looks like in my mind. And I just chisel off everything that doesn't look like a Roman general. Now, that sounds simple to him. But he had that image of what a Roman general looked like, and he, before he started chiseling on that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When God saved you by his wonderful grace, he saved you to conform you into the image of his dear son through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, and through the sovereign purpose and plan of God. And he uses, he just takes and chips a little bit off here and chips a little bit off. Has he had chips some off you? Has he had to do that? And he is working on you, and he will convict you. You'll read the Scriptures, and boy, he'll just squeeze your old heart and say, you know you ought not do that. And you just, you know you ought to do that. And you know, if you say you, say you love me, and you say, oh, I thought about my love for my Lord. It's so shallow. I thought, oh, dear God, would they arrest Rod Bell for being a Christian? Would there be enough evidence for me being like Christ that they could convict me? What or who is a Christian? One that is changed for the grace of God. One that is consumed by the Word of God. One that is conformed by the Spirit of God. That's a Christian. Let's stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, no one looking around. Are you in the mold? God changing you? Do you, by the Word of God? Has the grace of God birthed you into the family of God? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's grace that has changed you. You didn't change. Grace changed you. And grace wants to change you. And grace will change you. Grace, grace, grace. And grace will change you daily. He will change you. And then, my friend, the heart... The purpose, God's purpose is into his image. He does it through the word of God and through the spirit of God. And applying the grace of God to the sovereign purposes and plans of God. 
Pastor, you take the invitation. Ask the musicians to go ahead and begin to play. And the question has already been asked. Is there enough evidence now to convict you of being a Christian? You say you are. If you're here this morning, when you answered that question, there were some hesitation, some doubt, that idea of being changed and that idea of being consumed and the idea of being controlled. This is our first morning. This is our first time. If you need to come and pray at an old-fashioned altar, you do it right now. You don't even need to lift up your hand. You just need to come. Step out from your seat, wherever you're at. If God's convicted your heart and convinced your soul, then do it right now. Come down front while the musicians are playing and say, God, I want to be more like you. God, I need this in my heart. I need this in my life. Anybody else, you need to come. Let's do it now. Let's get this started in our lives. Let's get this started in our hearts. Anybody else, you need to come. So oftentimes we don't like the struggles, we don't like the trials, we don't like the tribulations, but they make us more like Him. Job said, oh, that he, when He tries me, I'll come forth as gold. Anybody else, you need to come. If you're here this morning in the sound of my voice and you're not absolutely sure that you even know Christ as your Savior, then by all means, please, today, do not leave this place. If you're here this morning and you're not absolutely sure, would you just hold up your hand and say, well, heads are bowed, eyes are closed, just between you and me. Pastor, I'm not even sure. If my eyes were to close in death, I'm not even sure that I'd go to heaven today. I'm just not sure. Pastor, would you just pray with me? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If you're here this morning, just between you and me and God, would you say, I'm not sure. Would you just pray for me today? Anybody at all, slip up your hand. Just honestly say, I just need you to pray because I'm not sure that I understand. Anybody at all? Anybody at all? Anybody else, you need to come. You're a Christian. 